This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This with your host, Dr. Zudi Jasser of the Blaze Radio Network. And this is the first of its kind and only one of its kind reform-based broadcast brought to you by an American Muslim former military officer, conservative, and a dedicated reformer, a Muslim who believes in the ideas of American liberty, of American freedom, and the need for Muslims to lead the defense of our nation, the defense of our security, and through that, looking at real solutions, breaching that divide between the East and the West, breaching the divide that separates us, not simply from the symptom of terrorism, but from the ideologies that fuel our enemies and that radicalize both Muslims here domestically and movements of hundreds of millions across the world that are Islamists. And the Islamists within our nation are the insurgents, those who are against the ideas of America, the cohesion of the contract that brings us together as Americans, and those abroad are enemies. When they're militant, we fight them on the battlefield. We fight them uh, as uh, targets of our Air Force, Navy, Marines, and uh, Department of Defense. And their ideas that sprout them, be it the Muslim Brotherhood, the Khomeinists of Iran, the Wahhabis of Saudi Arabia, any of the Islamist movements, we fight them ideologically. And it is here where you begin to understand the strategy that we should have as Americans. Welcome back. And uh, this week, before we get into really what I want to cover this week is is to lay back, now that we've had three weeks together, and um, I want to spend a little bit of time on sort of the Islamism 101, understanding really what the terms jihad, sharia, Islamic state, khalifa, Quran, the infidels, all these terms that get thrown about. I want to spend a little bit of time making sure we all understand what those terms are, but before we do that, I also want to talk a little bit about, as we've all gone through another Memorial Day, about how that holiday and that day of commemoration really brings to light the central, the central division between Islamism and Americanism. And then talk about uh, an update briefly about this uh, uh, law that the Senate passed that I was so happy about, uh, the Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act that now had a poison pill added to it, and uh, then also get to our Islamism 101. But first, let's talk briefly about Memorial Day. And uh, now that Memorial Day has passed, you can't help but uh, for those of us who often go every year to the nearest veterans cemetery, uh, who recognize uh, from whatever family members we know that have served uh, the ultimate sacrifice that some have given, uh, the sacrifice of health that many of us uh, that, and as a physician in the military, I took care of many of our armed uh, services members that uh, did suffer injuries, uh, uh, often were able to get back to the front lines and many times were not and are now being cared for in the Veterans Administration health centers. But remember on Memorial Day how important it is to recognize those who gave the ultimate sacrifice. Every one of the families in America has somebody either in their history or currently that they know, a relative, a friend, a neighbor that has served in the armed services and gave that ultimate sacrifice. And I can't help but point out that those insurgents that live in America take our oxygen make money from our businesses, 
and yet don't believe in the contract that is America, and those are the Islamists. And the, the greatest example of that is the Council on American-Islamic Relations. I prefer to call them the Council for American-Islamist Radicalization. And we're reminded of some of the commentary that Zahira Bahlu, uh, the CARE chapter uh, leader in San Francisco, who in 2014 had the temerity to post uh, on May 23rd then that she struggles with Memorial Day each year. How does one balance being pretty staunchly anti-war while honoring those who died in the military? Another tweet she said at the time, if one dies in an unjust war in which we illegally invaded and occupied a sovereign nation, should that person be honored? And then Dawood Walid, the care chapter that I shared with you other radicalization uh, mindsets that he pushes forth from his uh, perch in Detroit also echoed that. And then they went on to uh, also uh, endorse a need to liberate a black soldier. And she defended Jamal al-Amin, who was a member of the Black Panthers, convicted of murdering a police officer in 2000. And she said, uh, if America doesn't come around, we're going to burn it down. That was the quote from El Amin, by the way, not from uh, Baloo. But uh, um, the bottom line is, is she defended El Amin. And, you know, you see these folks, they defend the militant movements of radicals of Nation of Islam. They find excuses, as Dawood Walid did for uh, Imam uh, Abdullah uh, in uh, Detroit. And they go on and on to continue to advocate for our enemies. And, and yet they wonder how Muslims get radicalized and they want to blame the West for this. And even today, uh, Baloo continues last week to stand by her words in condemning Memorial Day and saying that, uh, um, she said, you think we should honor people who commit war crimes? Question mark. And the responses to her tweet from many of us who were offended, are listed there for people who want to look it up. And this is, by the way, a Bernie Sanders supporter who has been allowed backstage at Bernie Sanders' events. And uh, Bernie seems to attract uh, with uh, uh, unprecedented allegiance the Islamists across the United States, in addition to the Arabists like James Zogby, uh, who has been given a perch on the uh, Democratic National Committee platform now, uh, thanks to Bernie Sanders. So we see not only the anti-Israel movements getting recognized by Bernie, but we see at its core, with Zahira Balu and other Islamists that care, the anti-American, the vitriolic connection of those who hate America and live here anyway with Bernie Sanders and others in the far left. Baloo further has said on Twitter, quote, have more American youth joined the Israeli Defense Force than American youth have joined ISIS? Is one genocidal group different than the other? She equated our democratic ally, who is no different than any of the NATO countries and democracies that we support, to ISIS and, and militant jihadists that are deranged that leave America to serve ISIS, with patriotic Americans from the Jewish community who go and want to serve and, and help the IDF. Now, that is craziness, it's radicalism, and it is the food that is given to Muslims that radicalize them and pushes them down that road towards becoming members of ISIS. And yet these are individuals, by the way, Baloo had a poster that she posted telling Muslims not to help the FBI. So if anyone has any doubts that Baloo and her uh, counterparts are insurgents, all you need to do is look at their verbiage. You know, and on this Memorial Day last week, and I hope as many of us reflected, not only positively in our barbecues with our families, but at times of prayer and reflection, we would not have any of our human rights were it not for the American government and the American military that protects us every day. And I'm sorry, if there's anything you get out of this program, I hope you get the fact that until I start seeing, until we 
start seeing American Muslims lining up in droves exponentially more than they are lining up with ISIS. But American Muslims lining up in droves to serve in the American military to die for our country and willing to die for our country rather than in any way willing to die for any Islamic state, be it ISIS, be it Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Dubai, the Emirates, Pakistan, Afghanistan, any of these Islamic states, any members of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, until American Muslims realize and acknowledge frontally that we are Americans who want to serve the police, homeland security, serve our military, and we are ready and willing to die for it. And you know, at the opening of my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, I said on 9-12-2001, I wanted to re-enlist in the military and go and kill those bastards that did this. And how many Muslims felt that way and feel that way? I think a lot do. I believe the majority do. But they've been too silent and we've been giving them a pass. And on this Memorial Day, you know, last week I felt emotional about this as I read uh, some of the insurgents that care and what they write and what they believe. And I hope America pushes back, exposes them as militants no different than the Nazi Party or the Communist Party or, or any of those uh, uh, who, who say things that are just uh, vicious against patriotic, honest, God-fearing Americans who go and put their lives on the line and sometimes end up paying that ultimate price. We can no longer sit silent against the threat that is political Islam and the groups that follow along with it. We won't take it anymore. We demand that American Muslims begin to speak up against groups like CARE and the Council on American Islamist Radicalization. When we come back, I'm going to give you an update on that legislation I thought was so great and then start diving into Islamism 101. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. We were talking about Memorial Day and Pride in America and the contract that brings us together. Tell your Muslim friends, tell universities, politicians, media to begin to ask American Muslims about not only what they feel about Memorial Day, but when and how American Muslims are going to stand behind the ideas that represent Americanism, and when will they stand against the insurgent ideas of political Islam, Islamism, and the organizations that I believe are acting like foreign agents and should be registered under the Foreign Agency Registration Act, like groups like the Council on American-Islamic Relations, better, I think, described as the Council for American-Islamist Radicalization. On this program, we're going to continue to push hard to breach not only the divides between Americanism and Islamism, but to hold American Muslims accountable and to hold our policymakers accountable. Uh, I'm embarrassed. I I have to tell you, I am just embarrassed. In a follow-up story from last week, I... I talked glowingly about the Senate's new law, the Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act, that passed unanimously and and was an act that we thought, I thought, would begin to hold Saudi Arabia accountable, the central cancer cell, the central tumor of global Wahhabism, Islamism, and ideology that's perpetrated in the name of Islam that spawns and is the forefathers of groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda, and finally have an avenue that families that have been attacked 
like those who died on 9-11, could finally have a time in court. And we had a lot of excuses, and, and you and I spoke about that last episode, about why there should be no reason to deny the families of the victims of 9-11 their time in court. Well, it turns out, as Daniel Pipes and many have talked about this week, that this law passed by a voice vote because of its unanimity may have sadly been a cruel hoax. A cruel, a cruel hoax. Why? Because remember, uh, as I mentioned a couple episodes ago, I served on the U.S. Com- I served on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom until May 14th this year, and every year we pass, um, we would pass a a recommendation to the State Department that the that the Saudi government be listed not only as the worst perpetrator of religious freedom on the planet, but that its CPC country of particular concern designation be followed with sanctions, be followed with the sanctions that are part of American law that will not be relieved until they begin to actually move the needle towards religious freedom and and stop the egregious um, and systemic abuses of religious freedom in their country. And the State Department even agrees with us and labels them as CPC, but yet the White House and our security arm of our government then gives them a waiver so that the sanctions are not implied out of quote-unquote national security. Well, it appears that again the Saudi lobby has gotten what they wanted. And remember I told you that one of the biggest obstacles to this was this huge infection in Washington by the Saudi lobby, the Saudi lobby that has tentacles into both parties be it on the right, as we saw the Washington Post lay out how deep they went with Haley Barber and others, all the way to the left with Hillary and uh, every other power broker in the Democratic Party. And sure enough, at the last minute, as Paul Sperry breaks in the New York Post, he said, the sanction, the section that was slipped in at the last minute said, quote, stay of actions pending state negotiations, unquote. It leaves it up to the Secretary of State to merely certify that the United States is engaged in good-faith discussions with the foreign state defendant concerning the resolution of claims against the foreign state. So the Attorney General, as Daniel Pipes notes, can in turn petition the court for an extension of the stay for additional 180-day periods effectively delaying lawsuits against the Saudis indefinitely. And Daniel goes on to say, add to this that the House is unlikely to take up the bill. Obama is opposed to it, and the Saudi government has mobilized against it, and the vote appears to be a cruel hoax, as Sperry lays out. You know, not only is this just eternally frustrating, but... When can we believe anything that comes from Washington? And will this go to the House? We need to push it, and the House needs to amend it and ask the Senate to take off that poison pill that gives the Saudis life. The Saudis don't care what language necessarily is there as long as the actual effectuation of those uh, adjudications in court can never happen in our block. That's all they care about. They'll do the window dressing of reform and other things as long as they know that we're never going to hold them accountable internally. Same thing with this legislation. As long as there's no mechanism for real accountability, they don't care. So the bottom line is is that our government continues to be complicit in the governance of Saudi Wahhabism, of the inability of American citizens to receive their day in court, and the entire catharsis that we felt two or three weeks ago that may have come to fruition, that we thought was being blocked because of 28 pages that might have been released in the 9-11 report that have yet to be released, whatever it is, the bottom line, the Saudis seem to have gotten what they wanted. And until the Senate removes that poison pill, Chuck Schumer, by the way, who added that, Senator Schumer added that poison pill as supposedly the author. Seems like Schumer's learning 
propaganda from the best dictators in the Middle East. They say one thing, put forth a, you know, like uh, Bashar Assad, who talks about democracy and uh, governance and then and then says he's fighting terrorism in the meantime, in the meanwhile, is doing something heinously different in the background. Chuck Schumer, I'm sorry. You can't, on the one hand, say you're going to lead a legislation against the Saudis and then put in a poison pill that actually nullifies the entire intention of that bill. It's a sad day that we see things that go through Congress and then think that finally they're doing something good in the beltway, only to realize that it's a sham. Let's get to the meat of what I wanted to talk about today, and I think it's important in this time together that you and I begin to share some of the language. There are terms thrown about and identifying labels and ideas, and I think too few Americans really understand what they mean to Muslims, to Americans, to our policymakers, to universities, and there's so much difference in the verbiage, and yet sometimes because of that difference, people say, well, let's just forget it. Let's not call it Islam. It offends too many people. Let's not call it jihad. It offends. Let's not use sharia as an example or have anti-sharia legislation. All these different front lines of the debate cause confusion to the point that the minimalists win because then we can't really drill down on what needs to be reformed. So let's first start with the central, most important concept, which is I hope as you join me week to week, you begin to understand that our policy needs to change from CVE, countering violent extremism, to countering violent Islamism. Islamism, political Islam, and the concept and the idea and the fervor of the Islamic State is what we need to fight. It is our enemy. And contrary to what you may hear coming out of the Brookings Institute or others, Brookings has now had a, a front-page uh, approach to debating whether Islamism is bad or good and having many people... Um, uh, and having many people basically endorse the belief that, well, maybe Islamic democracy and Islamic political parties are no different than Christian political parties in Germany or elsewhere. Uh, it's very different. These are theocrats. No matter which way you dress them, no matter which way you give them fuel and energy, be it through the ballot box or wherever else, Islamism is Islamism. What is that? The Islamic State concept is an idea, an identity movement that believes that the identity of the state is a religious, faith-based identity, not only under God, but under Islamic law, under God's law as Muslims see it, identified, defined, and enforced and interpreted by clerics in its Sharia. So Islamic state is the Sharia state. It is a state in which people believe that that allegiance, that jihad for the state, is wedded to their citizenship. It's wedded to their identity as members loyal to that state. Their faith loyalty then is completely enmeshed with their state loyalty. And that doesn't leave room for other faiths. It doesn't leave room. Yes, other faiths have rights according to their Islamic state, but those rights are not at the behest of God, but at the behest of Islam and the Islamic state at the behest of Sharia law. So their rights are under Islam, not under God. That is what the Islamic State is. That is what Islamic movements are. Islamism is the belief, if whether they're in power or not, to have parties, like we have the Republican and the Democratic Party. They believe, the Islamists believe, that their political movements are united under Islamic movements as an identity movement that believes in every way possible to push forth Sharia, and Islamic law in every opportunity possible, be it for women's rights, be it about the hijab, be it about crime uh, of stealing, be it about uh, uh, against gay rights and other aspects, they use their Islamic party platform as that mechanism in which to push forth their ideas, be it, be it domestic or foreign policy. That's what Islamism is. In Arabic, they call themselves Islamiyin. Jamaat Islamiyyah is the, is the party uh, or the group of the Islamists. 
the Ikhwan uh, al-Muslimin is the Brotherhood of Muslims or Muslim Brotherhood of Egypt. Harikat uh, al-Islamiyya in Arabic is the movements of Islamism. So for those who say don't call them Islamic, don't call them Islamists, that is what they call themselves in the Middle East. They try to tell you not to call them that here because they want you to continue to harbor under the illusion that Islamists are basically Western Democrats and Western uh, Republicans who believe in our type of secular system that is under God but not under one specific faith community. That is the debate. So if you understand Islamism, you understand Islamic party movements with platforms based in Islamic law and platforms based in the effectuation of a legal system based in their interpretation of Sharia. When we come back, we'll get into Sharia and Jihad and these concepts of the caliphate and how then various forms of Islamists and their movements use these concepts to push forth, whether it be in the West or in the Middle East, their ideas. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Say what you will about the most ardent Trump supporters. They do not show up at Clinton rallies and Bernie Sanders rallies saying, you don't get to say this stuff. I've never seen it. I want to know if it happens because I've never seen it. Something very different, distinct about the left. The left has raised now a couple of generations, but we're really seeing the sort of end results of this, of people who believe that there is only one kind of acceptable speech, and that speech that they deem acceptable. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to the next segment of Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. It's great to be with you every week and thank you for sharing your valuable time with me. And I hope you do find this valuable. I think you'll note and realize that there's very few uh, of us out there who are taking this on publicly and willing to walk hand in hand with you and explaining to you what we're up against and also giving you some hope about some solutions that are real, that are palpable, and that exist. And I think the first step to getting to those solutions is getting it, is understanding what we're up against and understanding the words and using the same lexicon uh, as we approach the battle, the, the, the greatest battle of a lifetime, which is the 21st century battle against theocratic Islam or political Islam. In the last segment, we talked about Islamism and what it is. It's, a, it's an infused ideology that tells Muslims not only should they be politically devoted to Islamic State allegiance, that that allegiance gives them a gate to heaven that allows them, makes them feel like they would die for that. And remember, we started early and I said, the only way to counter that is not only to tell Muslims not to die for ISIS, but to replace that in their heart with a desire to die for America, that they would only die for Americanism and the freedoms that this country gives them. And that's what American Islamic Forum for Democracy is about. That's what our Muslim Liberty Project is about, and especially our Muslim Reform Movement and its declaration of what we stand for. That's what that's about. Let's get back to some of the terms I'd like you to understand. Jihad, jihadists, those are certainly our enemies. Jihad as a concept certainly has its apologetics about uh, what it's supposed to mean in the Quran or what it can mean. There's no doubt that at times, in certain passages, it means holy war. It means a war sanctioned by God, in which certain battles in the Quran, God told Muslims that since all other means have failed, you may defend yourselves and you may go to war with, as the description in the Battle of Badr in the Quran uh, gave Muslims the ability to fight that war in a jihad. Now, if jihad only meant holy war, I doubt so many Muslims would have as a first name jihad. I don't think their their mom and dad decided to name them holy war. Jihad, at its root, simply means devoted to God. It means internal struggle, a pure struggle to be good. There's no doubt, though, that the branding of jihad in the 20th and 21st century 
and, and no small thanks to the Islamist movements, is about a sense of getting all Muslims to want to die for the Islamic State and for Islamism. And you cannot defeat jihad until you end the concept of the Islamic State. Just as I served in the U.S. Navy and wanted to serve as I did 11 years, and I felt that there's only one state I would ever want to die for, and that's the United States of America, and that I would fight against my Islamist state enemies. I'd fight against communist enemies. I'd fight against fascist enemies. And I would only fight for America. Jihad in and of itself um, pulls Muslims away from this sense of allegiance to nation states and toward allegiance to the greater Islamic political entity and those Islamic states. And you see many examples of that. But the bottom line is is that we have to separate history and Islam from religion. Muslims who reform need to say that if Muhammad was alive today, he would no longer endorse the concept of jihad for an Islamic state. And Muslims don't allow them to have it both ways and say, well, as a minority in America, we follow the laws of the land and we don't believe in jihad, but in Egypt or in Saudi Arabia, where Muslims are a majority, then we believe jihad in the, as, as called by the Islamic president of that state, or as the AKP says in Turkey. That's nonsense, because then, they can, then basically they're admitting in their definition of jihad to be insurgents within the countries in which they're a minority, that they only follow the laws of the land because that's the law. Otherwise, they'd be anarchists, but they continue to would use democracy to try to become a majority, to influence it, and that they don't truly have adherence. So true principles and ideals are those principles that they believe in. They adhere to whether they're 1% or 99% of the population. And that's why jihad needs to be defeated as and condemned. In our Muslim reform movement, we explicitly condemn violent jihad, state-based jihad, and all forms of jihad related to military, government, and the state. And in order to be honest, we obviously, the internal jihad, the personal one, we are not condemning because the term itself in Arabic has a meaning. But we will condemn any form, and I do as an American patriot condemn any other form of state-based jihad, and that's what jihad is. Uh, the sharia, sharia as a term means Islamic law. And I think this is another term that gets bantied about. We've seen some very good legislation come through states like Michigan, Florida, uh, the one here in Arizona, and others around the country. Now, some have not been good. I think ultimately, while the Oklahoma one was initially well-intended, it ended up using the term sharia, so it wasn't uh, really good. And the reason I say that is when you use the term sharia, sharia to a Muslim means, literally it means the pathway to the watering well, uh, but it means Islamic jurisprudence, that you find the pathway to God by following his law. Now there's personal applications of that sharia, which I personally practice as a devout Muslim in my fasting and my prayer in my dietary restrictions, uh, in the avoidance, for example, of pork or alcohol, um, the uh, adherence to whatever I perceive to be the personal laws of my life and marriage and my last will and testament. So these are personal sharia or pietistic sharia. Sharia in government, in which certain applications of laws that are clear in the Quran about, for example, crimes that appear to be clear to the Wahhabis. Now, I would argue that we can reform these things and and Muslims need to do that, but there are many laws in the Quran, but the word Sharia itself is very hard to find in the Quran. You'll find its root maybe two or three times, and that's about it. So if Sharia was so important to Muslims in government, why is it not in the Quran? There are many laws, specific laws, that God speaks to a Muslim about those laws in the Quran. But it doesn't say that God is telling me that those laws should be invoked by government or even by family. It is God telling me that this is the law and that I will be held accountable on the day of judgment. So if you truly believe in free choice and freedom and free will, then wouldn't the most Islamic thing, and this is what we tell Muslims in our Liberty Project, for us to live in a laboratory of freedom where we can choose 
which of the Sharia interpretations we accept and which we don't, and then God will hold us accountable. Because if the government holds us accountable to those things, then government becomes God, and that's what the Khomeinist and their Islamic State believe that they are God. The Khomeinist uh, Islamic Supreme Council of Tehran believes they are God, and they invoke Sharia and hit women with sticks if they wear short dresses. They uh, uh, torture them if they choose not to wear the hijab. Same thing in Saudi Arabia with the uh, Committee for the Prevention of Vice and the Promotion of Virtue, otherwise known as the um, religious police. These are the people who, in the name of God, act as God and treat people as cattle and slaves to their theocracy. And I think ultimately that debate about Sharia in public life and through government's legislation of morality when it doesn't work. And so Sharia is Islamic law rules that are given through the Quran and also that we believe are transmitted in an oral tradition through previous decisions done by Islamic jurists and interpretations of the Hadith. Hadith is the Arabic term for discussion. So the discussions of the Prophet and the narratives of what we believe to be stories or sirah of the Prophet are much of the source of a lot of Islamic law. And I will tell you, most of the moderate and modernized Muslims will tell you that the vast majority of the very draconian Islamic laws that then become state laws, also known as hudud, H-U-D-U-D, hudud are the criminal punishments, the corporal punishments of torture, severing of limbs and other physical punishments done by government in the name of Islam are the invocation of punishments in the name of Sharia or Islamic law. So we see hadood punishments done in Pakistan and Afghanistan under the name of Islamic law, and those need to be stopped. We need to have reformists begin to say that is not our Islam. It may be Wahhabi or Diobandi Islam, as in Pakistan, which is another fundamentalist interpretation of Wahhabism that came out of Saudi Arabia. But that Sharia needs to be defeated and marginalized. Now, it comes out not only out of the Quran, where there are some passages that define these laws, but out of the long hundreds of years of a historical and oral tradition. Now, what has happened is that oral tradition was constantly undergoing modernization. And that stopped. Not recently. <laughs> it stopped in the 13th century, 14th century, around that time. And many have said that the modernization of Sharia stopped. The modernization of Sharia in Arabic is also another term you need to put into your lexicon, is ijtihad. Ijtihad, I-J-T-I-H-A-D. Ijtihad is the critical interpretation of scripture and sharia and Islamic law in light of modern day. That modernization ended, and some call it uh, metaphorically the doors of Ishtihad closed in the 13th and 14th century. And with that closure then ushered in the Ottoman Empire, the Khalifa, through the Ottoman control for hundreds of years into the 20th century. And there was no modernization that occurred during that time. And in fact, thousands of different schools of Sharia schools then whittled down into just a few in that time. And this is why there's no diversity. When you talk about diversity in the Muslim world, that diversity is about differing interpretations of Islam. And even the four remaining Sunni schools of thought, be it Hanbali, Maliki, Hanafi, or any of the four, those are all very similar. And when we come back, we'll end our initial discussion on Islamism 101 and what you should know moving on that the Muslim Reform Movement is trying to do. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss Pat and Stu. That dangerous weapon right there. Can you believe it? says bubbles on it. Still though. <laughs> still though. It looks scary. And that still plastic and still. If one of those bubbles, bubbles shoots out too fast. What if it ha- hit you right in right, the eye? Right, that's what I'm saying. Your eye would get wet. And you know what happens then. <laughs> yes. You have to dry it. Pat and Stu. Weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network.
is Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to our final segment this week of Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. It's great to be with you. And, and this week I wanted to step back now that we've had some time together and, and lay out the way I look at terms, the way a Muslim that's first American uh, looks at the terms of a faith that I love. And I think this type of accuracy allows us to dispense with political correctness, but yet still be correct when we talk about Islam, Islamism, Jihad, Sharia, and the Caliphate. Let's talk about the Caliphate for a second. What is that? This is a concept that we in the Muslim Reform Movement openly reject. We think you cannot defeat Islamism unless Muslims reject the existence of the Caliphate. It's time to end Caliphism. Bin Laden believed in a caliphism, if you will. He wanted to get Muslim, uh, non-Muslim forces in the Middle East out of the Middle East so that they could then have Muslims dominate their own governments. And if you look, for example, there's a letter to Baghdadi, lettertobaghdadi.com, uh, L-E-T-T-E-R-T-O-B-A-G-H-D-A-D-I. This is pushed forth by CNN and other so-called uh, mainstream media outlets as being the answer from moderate Muslims to ISIS. And it's signed by over 300 clerics, which I think is a who's who of the Islamists in the West or the Muslim Brotherhood legacy imams in the West. And they go through page after page. It's about 28 pages. We at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy are preparing a a long white paper response to this thing. But basically, I'd ask all of you to look at that letter. It is a clinic in what we're up against because they are very upset with the militancy of Baghdadi, with the militancy and barbarism of Al-Qaeda and the beheadings and the draconian methods that they use. Oh, but they defend the ends. They defend the jihad, the violent jihad as they define it. They defend the caliphate concept. And I think when we talk about caliphate, look at what they say. The caliphate can only be done by uh, a consensus of countries that are legitimate Islamic countries. And who decides what's legitimate? This is the debate. And uh, you talk to, for example, there was a Islamist uh, Brotherhood legacy leader by the name of Muhammad El-Bieri out of Dallas who was on the Interfaith Advisory Council for Homeland Security who had repeatedly defended the Brotherhood on his Twitter uh, profile and elsewhere. He compared the caliphate to the EU. Thankfully, he's now been removed from the Homeland Security Advisory Council um, because of, I think, because of a lot of the heat of reality that many of us brought to his commentary. Uh, I've debated him before at the Dallas Morning News uh, on uh, some of their blogs there many years ago pointed out that he's an apologist for Islamist movement. He even had the Muslim Brotherhood Party sign on his Twitter handle for some time. And yet he's compared the caliphate to the EU. That somehow if democracies came together, Islamic democracies coming together would be no different than democracies coming together for NATO or for EU. Nonsense. Islamic state identities are going to come together as a global theocracy. Just no different than the Soviets tried to hegemonize global communism under their banner. Under the banner of an Islamic state, the caliphate would bring together a hegemonization of the land of Islam, Darul Islam, and the Darul Harb, or the land of war. And until we Muslims reject that, until we, in our theology, not just in our platitudes and lip service, but in our theology... We advocate against the Islamic State and against the caliphate and believe that the best form of governance is an American type of government that's a republic, not based in using the term democracy, but based in minority rights and a separation of powers. And we dump the Islamic identity and the Islamic law identity of the legal system and replace that with a reason-based, common law-centered legal system we are always going to be part of an insurgency. We are always going to be a threat to mankind that would want to be free in, in a classically liberal way. Because until we abandon Sharia in all its forms in government, 
it will always be a seed, no different than communism can be a seed for socialism and other forms of collectivization against the interest of the individual. Islamic State mindsets can do that. Caliphism, as we see in that letter to Baghdadi, signed by every Muslim Brotherhood imam almost in the West at the various mosques, Islamic groups like the Council on American-Islamic Relations, the Muslim Public Affairs Council, the Islamic Society of North America, all of these groups came out of the 60s, funded initially by Saudis, uh, and uh, they grew out into some of these groups that I just labeled for you. Some may reject foreign money, but yet they still are part of the collective of Islamist groups that feed from the trough that somehow we as Muslims must join politically in movements to defeat the West, to defeat the Zionists and all the other non-Muslims that they believe are the enemies of Muslims. This division of the world into land of Islam and land of war runs at the core of ideas that we need to defeat as Muslims. And the caliphism is based on that division of land of Islam and the land of war. It's interesting, even moderate so-called Muslims like Tariq Ramadan has developed a third land, the land of contract or Dar al-Aqad. Aqad means contract in Islam. And that somehow, if Muslims are in a minority, that they will then have a contract Oh, okay, they're not anarchists. <laughs> they have a contract. They don't violate the law. Uh, but that doesn't make it moderate. That is still another apologetic for the land of Islam. And Darak Ramadan, the grandson of Hassan al-Banna, the founding father of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, is following not fall as his apple doesn't fall far from the tree of the Muslim Brotherhood. He has never criticized the Muslim Brotherhood movement, ideology. He's working in Qatar now in an institute hip hip to hip with uh, Yusuf Qardawi, a sheikh, a leading inspirational font of the Muslim Brotherhood that I talked to you about a couple episodes ago on how important it is to understand what Yusuf Qardawi is preaching every week on Al Jazeera to 60 million Muslims around the world. We also, as you look in the Quran, there's the word infidel or kafir, Kafar are those who reject Islam or reject God, really, is what the term means. Now, in an apologetic sense, uh, Islam was not the first to use the term infidel. Uh, Christians have used it, uh, and it is not specifically a term unique to Islam. Now, obviously, the Wahhabis have uh, uh, dominated the use of that term. Uh, the Christian world has not used it uh, for a long time, for almost a thousand years, so it is irrelevant to even really talk about it in this conversation. But from an educational, historic perspective about the term, we Muslims need to understand that the Quran talked about the kafar as those who reject God, and that was a term God ascribed to them, not that Muslims would ascribe to them. And that we Muslims, once we reject the Islamic State and we reject the concept of a Muslim army, we can no longer describe the other militaries by their faith identification. And this is why, again, you can't defeat the ideology that describes non-Muslims as kafar until you defeat the, the sense that the Muslim state has an identity and its soldiers have an identity as being Muslim soldiers. And the concept of kafar goes on within the battle within the House of Islam to broaden into a concept called takfirism, Tekfir is to declare somebody else non-Muslim, a disbeliever, to declare somebody else no longer part of the Islamic community or a Muslim. Now, even Islamists have begun to condemn tekfirism because it is an uh, uh, ideology that is ripping them apart, and it's really part of the Al-Qaeda, ISIS-type movement uh, that, in a militant perspective, tries to declare those who don't follow Islam the way the Islamists want them, the way the Wahhabis want it to be non-Muslim. But it evolves out of this definition of infidel or kafir. And ultimately, there's soft takfirism. And I'll share with you later in other episodes uh, some of the frontline battles we've had here locally in Phoenix, where imams get up and uh, write on Facebook or from the sermons, try to say that we are uh, Uncle Toms, they say that we are non-Muslims, uh, that we are hypocrites within the Muslim community, even though we've helped, I've helped build mosques, I've helped 
obviously, within the Muslim community, we pray, we fast. It doesn't matter to them. To them, if you're not part of the Islamist political collective movement, then you are somehow a traitor or a hypocrite within. And the Quran does describe some of those Muslims within the community that are hypocrites, and that was in the 7th century in which they were collectivized into a Muslim community, a Muslim army, and a Muslim state. Now that time is long gone, and I do believe 21st century Islam needs to reject the political identities of the 7th century of Islam. And the debate within the House of Islam is you can't reform those ideas and unless we believe that if the Prophet was alive today, he would reject many of the practices of political identification of the state in the 7th century with a more modern more American understanding of the separation of mosque and state and the need to defeat any establishment of religion within government. And I think that is what we'll spend our time most of all talking about on this program when we talk about how to reform this. And this is the defeat of the Islamic State. This is the defeat of caliphism. This is the defeat of the idea of ever any human being calling another a kafir or an infidel or a non-believer that ultimately, I hope that you will go and find our Muslim Reform Movement Declaration and look at those simple two pages and use it as a tool to see what are the definitions that we want to apply daily in our conversation with our Muslim communities from coast to coast and across the world, where the declaration says, we as Muslims come together, the 15 that signed that declaration, we come together and reject the Islamic State, we reject the caliphate, we reject violent jihad, we call for the equality of men and women, we call for the defense of the secular state, that we are loyal to the countries we believe in. We reject the fact that ideas such as Islam have any rights, but human beings do have rights. And we, we stand behind our homeland security and others in calling the threat to our country and our states Islamism and Islamiyin and we reject Islamic movements and political movements in the name of Islam. These are all aspects that I think you should hold Muslim communities accountable to. I hope that in our conversation today you've begun to understand sort of Islamism 101, and you can begin to take some of what you've learned here and engage your local communities, political communities, academic communities, faith-based communities, business communities on these issues so that America is no longer being swayed by populist movements that are often based on ignorance, um, being swayed by leftist apologetic movements that uh, really don't want to identify the fact that uh, Islam has a problem within it. Yes, the, the folks that say that Islam has no problem are in denial. The folks that say that Islam is the problem have no solutions. And the folks that say that Islam has a problem within it are the solution and understand that we have to begin that tough love of, once we understand it, engaging solutions. So thanks for joining me this week on Reform This. Start to learn about the Muslim Reform Movement, learn about what we're doing, and become empowered, engaged, and educated citizens. This is Zudi Jasser, your host of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks for joining me again. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Reaching the fault lines of today, the Blaze Radio Network.